0: And um, he's been dealing with my heart, and I don't know if he's dealing with your heart, but um, others have already said that this morning, but this this can be a year of promise for you. But it's not reliant on God, it's reliant on you and what you'll do and what you won't do. And so I want to pray in advance before we even get into this, as we uh, are going to talk about divine direction this morning. But would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that every single person here would have their spirit awake and alert. God, I pray that their heart would be open and ready to receive Your Word, whether it is hard on them or not, the words that they need to hear. God, I pray that the seeds of Your Word would be planted deep into our spirit, into the soil of our heart, so that true change and fruit can happen. So, Lord, we we won't check out. We won't shift into neutral. We won't be distracted. We're going to stay focused not on, on Pastor Tony, but on Your Word, God, which changes lives and hearts and minds. So, God, I pray that Your Word would go forth with anointing and power this morning to do its good work. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, amen. 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 Are you awake? Are you ready? All right. So we're talking about divine direction. Have you ever been lost? Now, I've been lost, and, and I have always thought it was interesting. There are certain people that seem to just kind of know where they're at, uh, especially in city driving and stuff. My my lovely lady, she is like a homing pigeon. She She knows where we're at. Um, now, you drop me in the woods, and I got it. I can figure out north, south, east, and west, and I'll get out of there alive. But you drop me in downtown, inner city, something, because it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes, if you gotta get back home north, you gotta go south, or you gotta go east, or you gotta go west. You, you have to know how to get there. (coughs) But the hardest part about directions is, even if you've got a phone, If you ever noticed, if you've ever used Google Maps or one of those things and you type in where you want to go, it'll always say at the top, your location. So it knows where you're at. But what if you don't know where you're at? What if that spot was blank and you had to fill in where you're at? See, that's part of being lost. Because if you know your location you're not truly lost. You may not know how to get someplace, but if you know your location, you're not lost. And the the problem that we're facing today is that there are so many people, even in the church culture, that you think you know where you are, but you don't. If we were to look at your life, if we were to look at the decisions you're making, if we were to look at how you plan your life, how you live, we would say you're not found you're lost. There's a movie series out. I, I'm not one to recommend movies. I, I just know that this is one that that fit in, and this has shared my heart. And a uh, very spiritual movie. Uh, it's called Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie, there's a rather strange fellow named Captain Jack Sparrow, but he has not an encounter with some British troops and they don't like pirates. But as they're going through and assessing what he's got, he's got a pistol that's only got one round and he's got like a beat up old sword and they pull out this wooden box compass. And the commander looks at it and he says, oh, and a compass that doesn't point north. And you think, oh, the guy's just on hard times or whatever, but if you continue watching those shows, you find out something about this compass. It doesn't point north. It points to what his heart desires. I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. If we opened up your box compass this morning, it would reveal what your heart desire is. Now the question is, is it pointing towards God or not? And you sit in church and you say, well, you're talking to church people. I know who I'm talking to this morning, but the reality is I get the letters, I get the emails, I get the teary phone calls, and I realize we've got people sitting right here that your life is in turmoil. You're you're facing issues you've never faced before. You don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how you got there. And the reality is I can't force you to open that box and look at the fact that the reason you arrived here, where you're at in this situation, in the mess that you're in today, is because you're following the compass where your heart desires. Because if you follow the compass that points to God, it will lead you into promised land. As As Pastor Tim said, it will lead you to good things. It will lead you out of sin. And the issue that we face, even in the church culture today, is that we've got upward intentions but downhill behavior. I want to draw close to God, but all the rest of your behavior is pulling you downhill, Pulling you away from God. And we see in the scripture that I want to lay on you a little bit this morning that we have some decisions to make. If we want to make 2018 something different, and again, I'm glad if you're, if you're trying to lose weight this year, you're trying to have healthier habits and all that stuff, that is great. That is awesome. But can I also tell you this? We need to get in shape spiritually. Because it really doesn't matter if you can fit back into the clothes that you used to wear in your high school if you're bound for hell. And if your life is a mess, and your relationships are a mess, and your checkbook's a mess, and you don't know how to pray, you don't even know your Bible, you don't know anything about God, and you think and you hope somehow, if I just show up to church, well, I hope this morning that church does give you a little focus. But it's what you're going to do tomorrow and the rest of the week. Because the reality is I've been in those spots where I'm not so sure what to do. And when it gets really dark and there's nowhere to see how to plot your course, you've got to trust the compass. And church, the compass is the Bible. This word will not lead you wrong. It will tell you what to do, where to go. And it will also tell you what to stay away from. And if we're not living our lives according to this compass, then I have to ask you, what are you doing and where are you going? Do you know where you are with God? You see, God knows where you are. Your spirit knows where you are. But I think sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking, well, I'm going to do better next year and I'm going to... And again you know the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because intentions don't get us anywhere. It's only our actions and our behavior. And one of the, the difficulties of our modern times is that we have a whole generation, and not just an age, but a culture of Christians that live as if they're unsaved. And it's shaming them, it's shaming Jesus, and it's not creating a culture that other people are willing to follow. They see us struggling and hurting and messing with the same stuff they're messing with, and it creates a weird disconnect of why should I follow you? The Bible is pretty clear about what he expects from us. And maybe this sounds like a hard message this morning, but I'm telling you, if, if we worry more about the outside than the inside, we're going to end up right back where we were before. And unfortunately, it will get worse and worse because as we focus more and more on the world on our, and our exterior of what we look like, how we sound, what, what weight we are on some scale, our spirit is diminishing day by day, week by week. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then we won't even care that we're lost. We'll just find ways to feel good about what we're doing. I read a recent comment that said one of the difficulties of our modern times is that we have Christians that say they desire God but they're unwilling to abandon their sin. Now think about that for just a minute. I say I'm desiring God but I'm unwilling to abandon my sin. That's the heart box again that God checks. He doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inside and He's like, I I hear what you're saying but I see where you're going. And those two aren't lining up. Let's look at some scripture here this morning, if you will. I'm going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. (coughs) This is about the prophet Elijah. He's in a hard place. And so, I use this illustration to help you realize that you may say, well, it's so hard out there, there's... There's less and less Christians every year. I don't believe that. I think there's just less and less Christian examples every year of people that are living right. But Elijah knew what this was like. He was surrounded by a bunch of pagan, uh, foreign God-worshipping people. And look what happened. He comes to his own people, the people that say that they know and love God. And look what he says to them. He comes to all the people and he says, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God... Follow him. But if Baal, this foreign god, then follow him. And notice the people's response. The people answered him not a word. Now, I looked up that word falter, because that's a strange word. We don't use that word very much anymore. But the, the serious, if you let this sink in this morning, you'll begin to get it. The serious and direct implication of that word falter in the Hebrew language means to limp. There's something wrong with your walk. Your walk has been impeded. Why? You're faltering. I I want to serve God, but man, I like this. No, I, I I I want to serve God, but I I gotta get this done first. Well, I, I want to be a person of God, but I just can't give up this. And he said, "Why are you going between two opinions?" The modern day would be this: you can't do both. You can't follow God and the world. And Elijah comes and says, "Make your choice, people. How long are you going to choose between two opinions?" And they're like, "Hmm." Did you know that this same question is still hanging in the air today? What will it be, Christian? Will you follow Jesus Christ, even if it costs you? Will you follow Jesus Christ, even if it means you've got to cut some things off? Will you follow or are you going to stand between the two? And can I tell you, you think that you don't have to make a decision, but you do. Because those that are stuck between two decisions... You think, well, I don't go anywhere. Yes, you do. And that's the sad news this morning. If you don't choose Jesus Christ, you've made your choice. And that sounds harsh, but I can back it up with a scripture, and I just want you to know Jesus said, I came for everybody, if you'll just come and follow me. But he didn't say, Hey, it doesn't matter what you do, just think about me once in a while, and you'll be okay. That's not the scripture. you want to read an exciting story, read what happens after this, how God shows up with Elijah. But you have to ask yourself this morning, am I faltering? Am I saying I want God, but really, my whole life is really, looks just like the world? I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, I don't give, I don't fast, I don't serve my fellow man. but I come to church, Pat, and I applaud you this morning, thank you for being here, that was a good choice. But coming back every week without living your life like a Christian is a waste. Our life is not composed of Sunday only. This is one-seventh of your week. And I'm not here to feel make you feel guilty at all. I'm here to hopefully allow the Holy Spirit to begin to poke at our hearts a little bit because one of the signs of the times that we're in now is it said that our hearts begin to get hard and our ears begin to get dull of hearing. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to change that. I don't want to... And I even look back to Ezekiel where it says that these people are far from me and they have hearts like stone, but if they return to me, I will give them a new heart. Do you hear the heart of God for you that even if you've got a hard heart this morning, come back to Him and He will do the heart surgery on you. He can forgive you. He can change everything in a moment. But you still have to make a decision to let Him in, to hear this word and not block it out and say, well, He's not talking to me because I know I'm talking to me this morning. There's areas that I have to ask myself. Have I got distracted? Have I got off course? Am I following Captain Jack that I want to go where my heart goes, or am I going to stick to true north, which points to Christ, even though that path may be harder? Look at what Proverbs says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Think about that for just a minute. This is a a multitasking generation. Let your eyes look straight ahead. And your eyelids look right before you. Look at verse 26. This means question or think on. Ponder the path of your feet. Let's just stop right there. If I'm telling you that I want to head to those back doors, but you see me face like this, what do you think about that? Oh no, I'm going over there your feet are headed that way. Your face is pointed that way. And have you ever noticed that, that it's pretty tough to walk in a direction that you're not looking? Now maybe you can do it for a little bit, but pretty soon you start going the direction you're looking. We're just designed that way. I haven't found a way that my body can go a different direction than my head. I don't know about you, but I can't. I'm sure it's possible some days my wife says that I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached, so maybe in the future? What are you looking at? What are you focusing on? Have you thought about the path of your feet? And let your ways be established. Established by who? Established by what? Established by God. Established by the Bible. Not the ways of the culture. The culture is not our God. God is God. Or should be. But you remember what Elijah said. There's two gods, Baal, which is just a a make-you-feel-good, something-you-can-serve-but-doesn't-rule-you type of God. Or there's God above that commands us to hold to His ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. Notice about that path? Notice what he's saying? If you find that you're walking in places that are dark, in places where God says you shouldn't go, what is the the mandate here? Remove your foot from that path. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, I'll chop off every foot that steps in evil? See, I think there's people that think that that's God, that He's just waiting to... He's just giving us gentle instruction. Hey... If you want to see me, if you want to be with me, then you focus on me. You want to be a person of God, you want to have a great life, you focus on me. Remove your feet. Look at where you're going and watch where your feet are going to go and remove your feet from evil. And that path will lead to me. Look at Romans 4.20. Speaking of Abraham... He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. You know what wavering means? It's like an oscillating fan, back and forth, and back and forth, and back. He's like, I'm holding on to the promise, but you had to wait 25 years. I'm holding on to the. I'm holding on. I'm holding on to the promise. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to back up. I'm going to go forward. Now, if you read the story of Abraham, you know he wasn't perfect. He messed up. And it would have been a great time for him to check out and say, well, that's it. But sometimes your promised land is waiting past your next mistake. Sometimes your promised land is not in jeopardy just because you mess up. All you have to do is get back on the path of the promise, and you'll be in line to receive what God has said. It hasn't been denied forever. Assured on Wednesday night, uh, those of you that were here, thank you for being here. Those of you who don't know, we've got a great Wednesday night service. But we need to be here, not only in church, but also here in His Word more often than ever. Because we need to be together, not so we can take an attendance count. I don't care. But we need to be together because there are times and opportunities and windows that God opens up that it's only for that time and it, it and then it closes. And a spiritual window for you to get in and for you to make a difference and for you to make some change opens and closes, but that's the day you weren't here. And this is what breaks my heart. I know we have families and couples. And individuals that you are facing hell on earth right now. And whether it sounds old school or not, you need more prayer, not less. You need more of God, not less. You need to be in church more and not less. You need to be having other people praying for you more and not less. Because the more you're out on your own, the more you make yourself isolated the more you make yourself a prey for the enemy. And there was a time that wasn't that long ago that you knew Christians because they were at church every time the door opened. And if somebody was gone a week, somebody would say, oh my gosh, what happened to them? Did they leave? Did they backslide? What happened to them? And as a modern-day pastor, I've seen people come back after a couple months and they didn't leave that's just their normal church pattern and you may say to yourself I don't need church but maybe we need you when you're not here somebody's missing something's missing and to think that you're so unimportant is a shame that you won't be missed is a shame and that you have nothing to contribute is a shame. And I have to ask you again, do you know where you are? There was a time when Christians used to guilt each other, and I think maybe it was bad, but it was also good. Because somebody would come up to them and say, hey, I didn't see an evening service. And then we'd have to come up with an excuse. Well, uh... Because we're not going to say we stayed home to watch wrestling. But now nobody notices, nobody cares, nobody asks. And that's a spiritual issue, not a showing up issue. Can I tell you, you can be here a lot and be completely checked out and it does you no good. But I'll tell you what, you being here gives you access to the Holy Spirit and the conviction of His Word to see your life changed. Because when you're out there, you're unfocused, and you're undisciplined, and you're drifting farther and farther and farther. We have to become people that decide we're not going to waver. If you really want to get to God, if you really want to make it to heaven, if you really want to be a person that's a true believer, not somebody just calls them and, and calls yourself a believer, but you're insecure, <coughs> you've got minimal faith, you've got nothing in your life that shows you're a Christian that doesn't make for a very solid person that's ever going to share their faith and see anybody else come to Jesus Christ. Also, you can't get to the right place with the wrong motive. If your only reason to get to heaven is because you don't want to go to hell, that's the wrong motive. The motive for getting to heaven is to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. To know His love, His mercy, His grace of everything that you've been freed from that it is gone and behind you and now you can enjoy eternity with Him and with the the fellowship and companionship and full agape love of all the other believers of the age. But if your goal to get to heaven is just so you don't burn, it's the wrong motive. And it won't help you get there it'll become a stumbling block. So here's the question from James 4 and 8 about where are you. I think many times from what I hear people asking me, they want to know what can I do, what can I do, what can I do. James lays it out pretty simple here for us. James 4 and 8, look what it says. Draw near to me, or near to God, and what happens? Notice, there's a response. When you draw near to Him, what does He do? He draws near to you. The issue for today is that we stand where we want to stand, and we say, "Okay, if you're God, you come down to me. You, if you're going to be God, you come and save me out of this mess. You come and, how about you draw near?" Our modern-day Christianity is not producing more and more highly qualified saints. It's producing a mishmash of worldly people that have some Christian values. What the Bible calls a mixed or watered-down, not only message, but life. Or we can say, hey, I know I'm not perfect. But I'm striving to get closer and closer to Him. And the way we do that, according to James, is we've got to draw near to Him. Especially when we don't feel like drawing near. Especially when we feel unworthy. Draw near. Now look at this. The great part is, He's given us a really great small passage. If we'll draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. Notice what He says to do next. Cleanse your hands. He's not talking about washing your hands before dinner. It's a symbolic thing of... You want to draw near to me? You got to wash up a little bit. You look down and you realize there's some dirt on your hands, some dirt in your life, some mess that you're walking through. Do you know that God's not ashamed of your mess, but He actually paid for it? Isn't that the good news? that he doesn't stand afar like we just stepped in dog mess and he goes, oh my gosh, get away. What what have you been doing? Oh, and I've been provided. God is such a rich and wonderful God. I've, I've got such a great illustration for this. I hope that you can get it. Years and years ago when I worked in the medical community, one of our anesthesia doctors uh, 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 a young lady came in early in the morning as was her practice and we were working and as uh, if you don't know the OR is usually a cold place and about two hours into the shift it was time for a break and she went into the break room And I had a question before I come in, and it was just she and I in there, and I walked in, and I was like, Oh my gosh, what is that smell? And I said, Do you smell that? And she kind of looked at me, and she goes, I was hoping it was gone. And I said, What happened? She goes, I got up, I got ready for work, And I let the dogs out and I didn't know it but on the back porch there was a skunk eating their dog food and the dog went out and scared it and she got sprayed. (laughs) But the morning was cold and she thought if I just kind of hang it out and let it air out a little bit it'll be okay but as soon as it warmed up her stench Went throughout the OR. And if you've ever had that trapped medical smell overlaid with skunk, even those little masks don't help much. But she thought that if she could just spray, you know, some Febreze or Air it out a little bit. It'll be okay. But how many of you know skunk is tough to get off? Amen. Now I say that to illustrate how incredible that God is. Is we come to Him, worse than a skunk. Our sin to Him smells like skunk that's been burned and buried in feces for two weeks. And He says, I love you. I forgive you. Draw near to me. Now imagine that. Or you can say, no, 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 I, I can't. He says, you draw near. I will love you. I will forgive you. So we have no excuse. Our sin isn't even the excuse. The only thing that's the excuse is our pride. Of that we've got our eye on something else. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Notice that he wants people to approach him. He's a God that wants to be near to us. And He goes from the outside, our hands, to your hearts. And purify your heart. Get focused on me. All that mess that you're desiring, that compass box, it's going to reveal what your heart desire is. And if it's not me, then He says you're double-minded. You keep saying you want to get close to me, but your heart leads you someplace else. And I want you to know I love this church. I love every last one of you, whether, you, whether I know you or not. Because you're a person destined by God to be great and forgiven and named by God. But one of the biggest disconnects we face today is that last part. is being double-minded. I want God, but I want my way. I want God, but... I don't want to change. I want these things, but I also want a really good life. I want my children to be a good, healthy Christian even though I don't pray with them, I don't worship with them, I don't teach them to read the Bible. And really what we're saying is, I don't have to have any part of this. God does it all. And can I tell you, He doesn't. He finished everything that needed to be done by the cross. But now we have the responsibility to step up and be obedient, people of God. He gave us His Word so we didn't flounder around. He let us know what's expected. So some questions to ask yourself so you can find out where you are. Are you getting closer to God? Let's just start right there. Are you getting closer? Are you even thinking about that? That's the first question that's really not even part of this question, but we got to start there. Are you even trying to get closer? Are you just assuming He's just chasing you down like some desperate person. God is not desperate in heaven. He is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And He desperately loves you. But He's not some insecure, oh, I hope that they choose me. Oh, I hope that they choose me. Really, He's saying, I gave you the ability and the power to make your choice. I love you so much, I gave you choice. And I hope you choose me. But the choice is yours. Are you getting closer by your lifestyle choices? (coughs) Excuse me. Are the choices that you're making getting you closer to God or farther away? Great question. Is your worship getting closer and more passionate? Your prayer, your Bible understanding? Do you even care about Bible and prayer? Are you serving the people around you? And again, not because you feel guilty, but because it's what Jesus would do. I don't have time for all that stuff. That is the problem. How about your motives and your intents? And a lot of times we pick on a younger generation. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's not about a generation. It's about a mindset this morning. And I hope that you can receive this. There's a whole group of people that's like, man, if we could just get back to the days of revival. I've been in some of those revivals and I can tell you this. God shows up. But about two days to two weeks afterwards, there's no change in anybody. And so I ask myself, was it really revival? if the same people that were gossiping are still gossiping, if the same people that are being mean are still mean, if the same people that are still drug addicts are still drug addicts, was it really revival, which means that God showed up and it was so powerful, everybody was changed, or was it a really emotional week of meetings? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying that our thought process of getting back to some time isn't going to change. The 60s are gone. The 80s are gone. Good God, 2017 is gone. But God does not change. He has the same power, the same anointing, the same desire for us as always. And we don't need to go backward. We need to go forward. Every time we're looking over our back, we're heading away from God. Instead of saying, what have you got for us this year? What have you got for me now? And instead of waiting for some special guy that's going to get us all whipped up into a frenzy, how about personal revival that comes through fasting and prayer and changing your life? Amen. And I'm an oddity. I know this. And again, not perfect at all, not even, not even on the scale. But I didn't have anybody do follow-up. I never got to do Sunday school. I didn't get a lot of the benefits a lot of people do. But you know what? I read this book when it came alive to me, and I'm still reading it, and it has changed my life. It taught me how to pray. It taught me how to know knowledge by reading the Proverbs. It taught me how the Holy Spirit moves and works and what keeps us from God. But if you never read it, And you're waiting for me to intervene in your life. You are making a huge mistake. And you're drawing near to me. I'm not asking you to draw near to me. Near to God is what changes our life. But it's scary. And it's hard. It's hard being a Christian. It's hard giving up our sin. It's hard to make decisions that say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And in fact, I'm not even going to hang around those people that do that anymore. That's tough. But a shirt on Wednesday night—something that I don't—it had been buried for a while—that came back to me on Wednesday. It breaks me even now. Listen, I've been saved for many years, and we're at a revival meeting. And I'm thinking everything's okay. I'm saved. We're in youth ministry. Things are great. And that evangelist amazed me because I thought he must be a psychic because the things he was saying. I'm like, that's me, <laughs> and and that part's about me, and that part's about me, and how did he know that about me? But he wasn't talking to me. I was one of a sea of faces there, and he had my attention. And it came time for the altar call, and he said something like this. Some of you are sitting there thinking you're doing okay. But the reality is you're drying your hands on a brown towel. And you have no idea how messed up you are. You're comparing yourself to somebody else. Look, my hands aren't dirty. But God hasn't called us to compare ourselves to somebody else, has He? He's called us to be holy. He's called us to be blameless. He's called us to be royal priesthood. He's called us to stand out from among the crowd. That's what church means, called out ones. And it broke my heart that night. And it made up my mind, I'm not going to be that person. And I think of how many people that you know sitting around you maybe it's you this morning you make yourself feel good by drying your hands on a brown towel and you can't tell how dirty your life has been and this is not about the terribleness of sin which is terrible but the reality is God has called us to be holy and that's an act of sanctification that takes us surrendering to Him. Are you just comparing yourself with others? Or are you comparing yourself with the one that said He wants to make you into His image? Can I tell you what hurts me the most? As a pastor, I'm pretty powerless to help you when you're not here. And there's people that you know that you wish that they were listening to this service this morning but they're not here. And the great news is you could share it with them but you're not sure if your life lines up enough to be able to share that with them. And I'm here to tell you you're wrong. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. That he doesn't call us to perfection before we can ever share anything. He just calls us to care. And if you're wondering what I'm saying, it's this. It breaks my heart that as a pastor that has the Bible and loves you very much, that I'm rendered powerless by the fact that when you need it the most, you bail. When you should be in church the most, when your life is a wreck, you bail. When you need God the most, you turn the other direction. You seek friends, you seek whatever you seek, and and we don't see you for months, and then I see you come back, and you've got that guilt in your eye, and you've got that bowed head of a painful load, and I'm almost powerless to help you other than to give you a message like this. And say, we got to stop worrying about the outside and how it looks and how you feel And come back to the solid truth that Jesus Christ paid for your sins and He will forgive you again and again and again. And the only thing keeping you from doing it is you. It's not me. It's not your circumstances. And it's definitely not Jesus. He's begging you to give up your sin and run to Him. What's your motives and intents for why you're following Just so there's no mistake this morning, I want to be pretty clear. Let's move move on. We're called upward. We're not called to flow with the tide. We're not called to shift into neutral. We're not called to back up. And again, this is a problem that we as human beings face all the time. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. Jesus says this stuff. You... They're they're backsliders. They're people that they don't know how to stick with me. Even going out of the out of Egypt, he he couldn't get them to the Promised Land because people didn't want to go. They didn't want to be in bondage, but they're not so sure they want to follow and trust God. And and that's the same thing that affects us today. But if you think that there's any other direction that God's calling us to, you need to get dialed in this morning and realize He's been calling you to step up, not step back. You need to step up your prayer. You need to step up your worship. You need to step up your Bible. You need to step up your spiritual life. You need to step up your focus. Or guess what? Last year will be a duplicate of this year. And the rest of your life. And it won't be God's fault. And it won't be my fault. It'll be your decision to stay floating, going with the tide, and at best, treading water. But God has not called us to that. Psalms 24, look what he says. Who may do what? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord. Notice he's calling us up. And he's calling us to Him. See the relationship? Who can stand in His holy place? That's a great question. Those who have what? Clean hands and a pure heart. You remember what James said? Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. That's why we're here. It doesn't mean you have to get perfect before you meet God. It means you've got to want to. He'll do the cleansing. He'll do the purifying. You can't do it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's our helper. the Holy Spirit's our convictor. Holy Spirit's the one that knows the motives and intents of our hearts and begins to change us. but you're still going to have the want to. Those who have not lifted up their soul to an idol. The old original language says lift up their soul in vanity. That it's about you. Nor sworn deceitfully. That's a big... uh, That should be a big indicator right there for New Year's resolutions, right? I swear this year I'm going to lose weight. You just swore deceitfully. I'm going to be a nicer person this year. You just swore deceitfully. I'm gonna on and on and on. Look at this. If you'll approach and you allow Him to cleanse you, look at verse five. The person that will do these things and come into God's presence, he shall receive blessing from the Lord. Do you want to be blessed? Notice that you got to come to Him, and it's an upward call. It get on the hill a little bit. Look what He says. You receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness. From the God of his salvation. Righteousness means that when he looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Instead of us thinking he always sees our sin, he says, You come to me, I cleanse you, I put your feet on the right path, and now when I look at you, you're like my son. What's keeping you from climbing the hill? What's keeping you from taking those first few steps? I love verse 6. Look what it says. This is Jacob. The generation of those who do what? Remember when I asked where you're going? What are you seeking? What are you seeking this year? If it's weight loss, you might get it. But if you get weight loss and lose the Lord, will you have won? Better habits better finances. You get all that stuff the Bible says you gain the whole world and yet you lose your soul. You've lost. But if you'll be like Jacob, a generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, then blessing and honor and righteousness comes. There's benefits to seeking God. And yes, it's hard. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. Apostle Paul sizes it up pretty well in Philippians. Look what he says. He says, I press, that's a word of of effort, toward the goal for the prize of the, notice it again, the upward call of God. It's going to be very simple and very blunt, and I hope that this doesn't hit you right in the eyes and you don't think I'm trying to hurt you. It is the height of arrogance For you to think that God should come to you. He already came in the form of Jesus Christ. You want to get close to God? It's not Him that needs to move. It's you. If you feel far away from God, it's not Him that moved. It's you. You drifted. You got distracted. And again... No guilt, because guilt isn't going to change. Or you can allow conviction to realize, I'm going towards what I'm looking at, and I need to start asking myself, what am I looking at? I'm pressing forward. Paul also says in that passage, I'm forgetting all the things behind. Who cares what happened in the past? Both good and bad. That year is done. What happened 20 years ago is done. Both good or bad. What happened two months ago, it's gone. You can't change it. Good or bad. I'm pressing forward into the upward call of God. Here's why all this is so important. Because it's not about what you do. That's not what God cares about. And yes, yes He does care about sin, but Hang with me for just a minute here. Us being the right who is more important than the right do. You being the right Christian is a lot more important than figuring out the right things to do or getting this or getting that or making this or that decision. The first decision we need to make, am I the right person before God? Who are you before Him? And secondly is the why before the what. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 3 real quick before we move on here. Look what he says. This is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. That means a cleansing. That means a process. And notice what he links to that really close. And again... We know this is one of the major issues that we face in our day. You want to stay away from trouble? Here's a big one. Abstain from that mess right there. In every facet of its form. But notice what he says. It is the will of God that you get sanctified, which means you start walking with me and I start cleansing you little by little day by day. He does the work through the Holy Spirit. We can't. It's impossible. But we still have to walk with Him and allow it to happen. Let's look at Proverbs 16 and 2 here real quick. I'm, I'm sorry. Col, uh, uh, Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, you worried about the do? Whatever you do, in word or in deed, how are going to talk, how are you going to act, do it as what? Do it in the name of Jesus, instead of worrying about that promotion, instead of worrying about what other people are going to think, you need to worry about what God's going to think. Giving thanks to God. When it's hard and when it's not. When it's good and when it's not. We give thanks to God. Because He sees us through all these things. If you're becoming the right who, God will help you choose the right do. Do. You see, we want to know what to do, but if we're not close to God, we won't hear His voice. We won't know He's trying to tell us. We won't understand what He's trying to do with us because we're not right with Him and we've got our ears tuned to something different. But when we become the right who, then He can guide us and lead us and tell us and show us. If you're driven by the right why, why do you want to change? Why do you want to get there? then God can lead you to the right what? What am I supposed to do this year? I've just given you a huge list. <laughs> but that sounds like work and what's that going to do for me? And See, you got to go back to becoming the right person. And then these things will be important. Can I encourage you this morning with Zechariah 4.10? Look what it says. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Maybe you're like, man, I can just Barely get this done. To start with a small step. A small step this morning is better than no step. A small step now is better than some big step you think you're going to take later. Who has despised the days of small things? Little small steps get you moving in the right direction. Maybe you're, oh, I got to do this big thing. Nope, just a small step. What's the small thing that you can do to get closer to God? Maybe just ask yourself some questions.